We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which this podcast is recorded and produced, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, whose sovereignty was never ceded and this area's original name was Nam. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Damn! We're in a tight spot. Welcome to Music Town. May I service you? Great Scott! It will never be enough! I only want to hear the ayatik done! Ah, as if! Dignity. Always dignity. You're listening to You Watched What? What? I'm Kate. And I'm Amy. We are two sisters who pick a movie, watch the movie, and then discuss the movie and all of the gossip and scandal that surround it and Hollywood in general. How are you going, Kate? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. That's good. What have you been watching this week? I haven't actually done a lot of watching of screens. Um, While we're recording, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival's been on and I've been out to see a few shows. Yes, who have you seen? Seen a few people. I would say right now my number one pick is Beck Charlwood. She has a show called Dirty Girl. Mm -hmm. It is pretty blue. It's very funny. She's she's very impressive. She's great with the crowd and really hilarious. Awesome. Yeah. Very nice. What have you been watching? Um, Not... A lot, really, either. (laughs) It's just been one of those weeks. I would like to say that I am still watching Maths, The Australian Married at First Sight. Uh. And I would like to say that a few weeks ago, I seemed quite excited about the fact that I was watching it. And that's because it was all new. And as we get into it, it's really just highlighting that a lot of white men are really problematic. Oh, no. And... Uh, I know, I know, I shouldn't be shocked. Well, I'm not shocked. Let's face it, I'm not shocked. But I am shocked and appalled with how little on the show they actually bring up the words like emotional abuse or gaslighting because there is a lot of it happening on the show. Really? And I really am – Channel 9, come on, put up some support. Like like when we we discuss suicide and things like that, we have Lifeline come up. Yeah. You put content warnings if, so people know what they're yeah, engaging with. I, I really kind of feel that if women out there are watching this and can relate with some of the behaviour or um, even men, if they can relate with some of the behaviour that's happening, that might be happening to them or might be they might be doing, that there should be some support avenues put up for these people because, oh my goodness, I watch it now and I am basically watching it to feel furious. <laughs> and then so me and my girlfriends can talk about how furious we are at some of these men. Not all of them, not all of them. It's it's a select few, to be honest, but it's a select few that aren't being, they're being called out to an extent, but I feel there's, would be editing to remove certain words. That's what my gut's telling me that – because I, I tell you what, if I was at some of these dinner parties, I'd be calling these men out and I'd be saying much more. And I can't imagine that some of these women and other men at these dinner parties aren't saying more and aren't calling these people out for what their behaviour actually is. Yep. So that's my thoughts on that this week. 
I'm okay. I'm fine with not having seen any of it this yeah, season. Yeah, and you know what? And this is the first season I've watched, and I and I won't be watching it again. And I'm only watching it now because I am so emotionally invested <laughs> in um, what's happening to these people that I've got to see it through now. Or I'd, I think I would go crazy not knowing what's what's going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think I'll be watching it again. But to lighten the mood, I did watch Fisk again. Oh, cool. um, still, look, still, I'm gonna, I'm gonna double down and say it is the funniest thing on TV currently. ABC, Kitty Flanagan, funniest thing I've seen in a long time. Awesome. So, yeah. But other than that, not much else is um, new is on my radar. Unfortunately, that's my rant for the week. Excellent, <laughs> love it. So this week, Kate, yes, you made me, well, you didn't make me, but you kind of made me, <laughs> you made me watch The Mummy this, from 1999. This is one of my favourite movies. I have, I just have such a soft spot for this and The Mummy Returns. I love them both. This was on my list of comfort movies. And I just have this enduring fondness for the whole, everything about it. The fairly ropey CG because it was 1999 and Mm. it looked pretty good for the time. Uh, I think it still holds up. It holds up quite well. well. It's well enough. It's well enough. I think they knew the limits of what they could do and it's fine. Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz are an extremely charming couple. Mm. They both have... Wonderful, yeah, incredibly charming and charismatic on-screen presences, and those characters—you know straight away that they're going to get together, that they enjoy mm. each other's company, and it's a huge part of the the charm of watching it is just watching these people who come from different worlds and are really enjoying what they're doing. Yeah, wild shenanigans. It was much funnier than I expected. It's very funny. I don't, yeah, I don't know what I expected. But I didn't expect it to be funny. I think the word that comes that came to mind when I rewatched it again in the last week was goofy. Yeah. There's a, there's a goofiness to it. And I think some of that does come from Brendan Fraser and his physicality. Yes. In the GQ article that was published in February 2018, of which we will discuss a lot more later in the podcast, mm-hmm. the writer talked a bit about how Brendan Fraser became almost typecast in these roles that are a man coming out into like a, a new world and seeing things for the first time. Yes, yes. He's had a lot of roles like that. Um, yeah, Blast from the Past. Which I love. George of the Jungle, a personal favourite in this household. It's pretty great. I was actually really um, surprised that I hadn't seen The Mummy before. Me too. Yeah, it was. And when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I wonder why I didn't see it. And then I thought, oh, 99. And then... I actually Googled what movies came out in 99 and I am even more surprised that I didn't see it because mm. it seemed like in my last year of high school, I spent a lot of my time at the cinema <laughs> and here's a little list well, of the movies that I saw, Amy, at the movies, at the cinema, I saw American Beauty, mm-hmm. Cruel Intentions, oh. Sleepy Hollow. The Sixth Sense, The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is the first movie I ever went to by myself. Notting Hill, Inspector Gadget, American Pie, Double Jeopardy, (laughs) Austin Powers, The the Spy Who Shagged Me, 
10 Things I Hate About You. Great. Anywhere But Here, which is a Natalie Portman movie that I went and saw with our dad. Dogma. Uh-huh. Entrapment, which is a Sean Connery and <gasps> Catherine Zeta-Jones movie. Yes. So I saw a lot. That I feel like yeah. that's a pretty good – considering that I go to the movies maybe once a year now. And you didn't have a job at the time because you were super busy with school. Yeah, I went a lot. You and did. I think it was around the time that a cinema opened really uh, close to us. Yeah. Like maybe the year before. Yes. I feel. And so we were kind of all of a sudden walking distance or we kind of got off the train from high school and the movies were right there. Because I do – remember seeing a lot of these movies straight from school yes. in, our, in my uniform with some girlfriends. That makes a lot of sense. And I know you and I saw some of them together yes, too. Yes, we did, definitely. So I am quite shocked that uh, I didn't see The Mummy. No, I didn't see it in the cinema in 99 either. Oh, okay. So I saw it, I caught up on home video and I did see The Mummy Returns in the cinema. Ah, okay. Yeah. Awesome. But Mustn't have been on our year. radar, even though we were quite big Brendan Fraser fans. I know, right? Back then. I don't – yeah, it's kind of interesting that we didn't see it. And that only got – well, for me, I want to say worse, but no, just more serious. I I love him and I love his <laughs> movies. A small And you should. <laughs> he seems to be like one of the good guys, one of the nice guys yeah. of um, Hollywood. Before we get into our recap of the movie, I wanted to talk about that just a little bit. One of the pieces of research I did this week was looking at the concept of parasocial relationships, mm-hmm. which is the idea of how you relate to an, and form a relationship with celebrities, characters mm-hmm. and things, people that you don't really know, but whom you know enough about to feel like you know them and to have an opinion on them and care about yeah. them. And he is one of the first people who springs to mind if I think about okay, yeah. which Actors and actresses, which um, celebrities do I have a parasocial relationship with? Okay, I've never heard of that before. I have. I but I know who yeah. I have that relationship with. Yeah. We all, we all know. Yes. Jake, <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's something that I only became aware, aware of pretty recently. Although as soon as the concept's explained to you, you know, yeah. oh, I am very that aware makes of sense. Yes. the experience. I just didn't know it had a, a name. A name. And that it was kind of normal. I feel a little bit like, whew. It is normal. I'm not crazy. There are ways in which it can be expressed in a healthy way and ways in which it isn't. I think it's important to understand that we're attached to these people and we're interested in their lives. We but are we not going to stalk them. Yeah, we know that we don't know <laughs> them. We know that you know. We know we don't know them as people. Although I do have a habit. No, it's of, um, <laughs> oh no! Of of seeing celebrities out and about, and it hasn't happened in a long time. But seeing because celebrities out—they're not out and about anymore. Out and um, feeling that I know. Well, not even feeling that I know them. Kind of. Like one time. Now this is this is going to be a bit of an obscure one for people who aren't Australian. But I was at a big day out. I feel it was the year 2000. And I walked past the Channel V guys who at the time was Andrew G or Osher Ginsburg as he is known now and James Matheson. Oh, yes. And as I walked past them, I went, oh, look, there they are. There's my (laughs) mates. And I slapped James Matheson on the arm and went, hey. (laughs) And then he just went hey, how you going? I went, good. And I literally kept walking because I didn't actually really care too much. And then it was about 100 metres later, I went, oh, 
I don't actually know them. That's awkward. I've just seen them on TV and felt that I knew them in the moment. That is exactly it. That is a parasocial relationship yeah, where you've just that feel I like- didn't even know that I I had mm. this friendly feeling towards these people. <laughs> well, just that you felt comfortable going up and saying hi because you felt I've just, I've just and run I'm pretty into a sure that's happened to me before, but I can't think off the top of my head where it has happened before. But I am actually pretty sure that's happened before. Okay, well, I really, yeah, I, mm. I get it. I get that. Yes. So I have. A strong attachment to Brendan Fraser. I want him to be well and do well. Yeah, he to, seems to really succeed. He seems really nice because he does seem like a decent. He's Canadian. Oh well, there you go. That says it all. We shouldn't generalize, but but we will. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian. Well, Canadians, Australians, I think get Canadians. Yeah, I and think so too. Maybe Australia as a country has a parasocial relationship with Canada. Maybe we've both got a similar relationship. With the UK mm-hmm. and a little bit with America. Yeah. And with apologising for things. Yes. Not the things that we should apologise for. <laughs> Just like getting in someone's way at the shops. Yeah. Well, you were actually at Hamanatra. Yeah, I was there. You swear. Every damn day. And now let's the get mummy. into our recapping of The Mummy. Yeah. So... I watched The Mummy with my husband who has seen it, oh, countless times. It's and so rewatchable. I had to tell him to settle down at the start because he was <laughs> he was going, oh, no, yeah, I remember what happens here. This is a blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, uh, be quiet. You cannot. And he was baffled that I hadn't seen it before because then he was like, oh, haven't you seen this? I was like, no, I haven't seen it before. This is why I'm watching it. Mm. A little bit of shush, please. Um, and then he kind of moved away from me and sat in the corner while he watched it and I sat there and took a few little notes. But in saying that, I didn't take that many notes because I was so into watching what was happening. And like I said earlier, it was so much funnier than I expected. Not like it's so funny. not like a comedy kind of funny where you, you're expecting to laugh all the time and you do get lots and lots of laughs, but there were plenty of laughs, really. It's an action movie with many comedic elements and a cast who have great comic timing. Yeah, it was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. We start with some late 1990s CG. It's not that bad, although I feel pretty confident that the Sphinx didn't have that much of a European nose. Mm-hmm. Yep. We could never know, but, you know... Immediately, right out the gate, this movie is extremely horny in its use of, of body paint. Mm. Oh, it was so good. Yes. That so was so, so good. Six solid minutes of exposition, which shouldn't be entertaining and draw you in, and yet it kind of does. Is it historically accurate? I only know that they oh, definitely... I so. <laughs> they, I mean, they had pharaohs and they had mummification and there were priests of some kind. I have refused to do any more research. Was he like a real pharaoh or no? no. Okay, we don't know. Now, can I ask you this question? Because I watched it uh, a a week ago, a week or so ago, and then I watched it again yesterday with um, one of my daughters. The first time I watched it, I felt that this lovely gold lady who I would love to cosplay as one day. (laughs) Yes. Damn. So good. So... The first time I watched it, I thought that she was the Pharaoh's lover. Yes, she is. She's his girlfriend. Okay, but then the second time I watched it, there was – 
I don't know if I heard right, but there was some kind of reference to her being his daughter. Okay. So is – and they, they called her princess a lot. And so then I was – well, you're looking at me like you don't know the answer, Kate. And that no. worries me because I needed you to confirm for me. Is she his lover no, or she, is she his daughter? She is his lover. Is she possibly also his daughter? No. But whose daughter is she? <laughs> Why does Brendan Fraser say the daughter of the Pharaoh? The daughter of the Pharaoh is a plot point that comes up in The Mummy Returns, which oh, you haven't watched yet. Okay. Amy. I really wanted to watch The Mummy Returns, but I didn't want to do it before we talked about this movie yes. because I knew I was going to get too confused. Definitely his girlfriend, but actually in love with the head priest. Yes. And whose think- names I can't remember or pronounce. Mm, I wrote some of them down. A thing that I enjoyed about this was, and this recurs through the movie, I think to keep its rating down, and then I checked those ratings, any of the big bloody stabby murders we actually see as shadows cast on a wall. Which yeah, is like, oh, it's not really gruesome. Clever. There's not a lot of blood. And so I, I did look that up and it was a PG-13 in the US mm, and an M in it's Australia. An M here, yeah. IMDb claims that the first cut was R-rated, which I think maybe means more a bit more Gore violence. And, and yeah, things, maybe yeah. some swears. Uh, yeah, there's not really any swearing at all, no. is there? I think I kind of mm. made the assessment um, that the scariest part that I was kind of going to warn the girls about was the big sand, the the big faces in the sand. Yes. Seemed to be... Supernatural horror. Yeah, kind of seemed to be scary. But also it's kind of easy to explain a way of like, this isn't real. This doesn't really happen. Yes. So it's not that scary. It's all supernatural horror, which is, yeah, a lot less um, It's upsetting. not like watching Jaws and then going, let's go to the beach for holidays. <laughs> We're Australians where this could actually happen <laughs> and you think you can trust the government to maybe shut things down and, well, in the state we live in, can, yes. but not everywhere apparently. Not everywhere. I don't think you can mummify someone alive. So basically, Imhotep, the head mm-hmm. priest, yes. becomes the mummy, and his girlfriend, whose name Anuk Anuk Anuksunamuk. Oh, I was pretty close. We're pretty close. We're going to do this now. A thing that occurred to me very early in the movie was how many of the actors playing Egyptians, ancient or contemporary to the movie, the twenties, mm-hmm. are actually Egyptian or North African. I'm going to say. My guess is 0.5 of a a half half. of one of them. (laughs) I think you might actually be correct. So then I went and checked for all of the all of the characters who are named. Here are the stats. Mm -hmm. So Ardeth, our um, extremely handsome head magi guy with Mm -hmm. the face tattoos. Oh yes, yes, yes. Is played by Israeli actor Oded Fair. Imhotep. He's played by Arnold Vosloo, who is South African and is not okay. a person of colour. Patricia Velazquez plays Anouk Su- Namun, I think. She's Venezuelan. So, again, she's a person okay. of colour, but she's not Afri- North yes. African. The Pharaoh is played by a Moroccan-Israeli actor okay. called That's, Aaron We're getting a little, a little closer. The Prison Warden is an English actor with ir- Iranian heritage. Oh, I loved him. Oh, he, reminded, he reminded me of Jalil. our old neighbour, Frank. He does look like our neighbour, Frank. I mean, he was Lily. Egyptian. Yes. There you go. Okay. So, again, a person of colour. Yes. So, and he's also played by I picked an American up actor. That, um, our two two of the main people, Evie and Jonathan. Yes. 
They're half Egyptian. According to the plot. Well, and I don't feel that they're half Egyptian in real life. They are not. Rachel Weitz. Going to Wikipedia, she is English, raised in London. Her father was Hungarian. Okay, so and her mother some European. was originally from Vienna. So, so you're yeah, some spot European. on with the V type pronunciation yeah. of the W rather than the W. w. Rachel Weist. Weist. But the film did cast people of colour in roles where there are people of colour except for these two lead roles and then did lean pretty hard on some stereotypes there. It's mm-hmm. It held up better than I thought a movie from 1999 might though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think you can mummify someone alive, which is what happened to Imhotep and his priests who were all fully painted in gold body paint, which is like... I know, they were so glamorous. I would maybe join that cult pretty easily. <laughs> just like, hi, come to my church. I have, I am very charismatic and all of my priests are just covered in gold body paint. I'm at heart a simple, slutty person. So I'm Googling if you can mummify someone alive and the first thing that's come up is, can you mummify yourself? <laughs> No, no. I mean, no. I don't think it's not really giving me an. It's not really giving me an answer. Let me get this straight. They ripped out your guts and they stuffed them in jars. And then they take out your heart as well. Oh, and you know how they took out your brains, Evie? I don't think we need to know this. They take a sharp, red-hot poker, stick it up your nose, scramble things about a bit, and then rip it all out through your nostrils. That's gonna hurt. It's called mummification. You'll be dead when they do this. So I found the part when they um, threw all the beetles in the the coffin, or is it a sarcophagus? Would you call it a sarcophagus? Yeah. They um, it gave me um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here vibes. Like it wasn't (laughs) as startling as it may have been in '99 to see that because we we kind of see that and think it's a big joke putting creepy crawlies on on. B-grade celebrities and, um, and, and as watching them squirm. And as Australians, beetles are not the scariest thing you could put me oh, in a coffin no. with. No. No, but these beetles. Now, one thing that um, my daughter actually picked up on Ooh. with the in, in relation to the beetles was that at one point it was said how the beetles had eaten him really, really slowly – but, but then later on down the track, these beetles are like maniacs and can can consume someone in three seconds flat. So what's the go there? I looked it up <laughs> <laughs> and I read a theory that as because because this mummy has been cursed. Yes. This this body that I I hop. Imhotep. Im- no, I don't know if that's not the international um, house of pancakes. <laughs> um, no. He's been cursed. Yes. There's a curse on him. So there is a theory that these beetles, while they've been eating him alive, have kind of taken on his curse, which may be why they are now like maniac beetles that can just go and and eat someone. It makes sense and I love that level of overthinking about a movie that is not that deep. <laughs> well, you gotta love you it. gotta do something, don't you? <laughs> Almost seven minutes of exposition later, we are we get a title card and we discover who's been doing our voiceover. It's Ardeth, 
the mm. head, I guess, the head of the Magi now. Yeah, and I the actually... The secret order who uh, descended from the Pharaoh's police. Like, police? I don't think that's the word that you would have used at the time. But anyway, his guard force who are now tasked and, and carry on the journey of making sure this mummy doesn't come yeah. back and mess everything up. Yes. Originally... Um, the director, Stephen Summers, is mm-hmm. that right? Yes. He wanted, um, I'm going to call him IHOP again because I can't remember. You know what we're just going to call him? The mummy. The mummy. <laughs> he wanted the mummy to do the voiceover, ah. but then realised that he wouldn't be able to speak English. No, exactly. So, yes, we, we find out who's been doing the voiceover. It's Oded Fair, who is Ardeth, who I love. When we post this episode, I might put up a picture. Oh, you have to put the picture up from Universal Studios. In Singapore. That I'm pretty sure I, I took this picture. I think you did. One time we went to Singapore before COVID and we went to Universal Studios as a family and they have a mummy section and they have actors playing the Magi with the tat- the Arabic tattoos painted onto their face with eye- liquid eyeliner. Mm-hmm. And I got a photo with one and I look... Suitably horny. Yeah, thrilled. Thrilled. I've got to say, now I haven't seen this photo in a, in a long time, but I was really, watching the movie, I was really impressed with the casting from Universal Studios because yeah. I reckon it could have been the same guy. It definitely wasn't, but it was pretty good. Yeah. It was, they did Spot a very good job. Singapore. Thank you, Singapore Universal, Universal Studios. Studios. You were great. And we love you. We hope you're surviving COVID. So we finally meet... The first of our protagonists, I'm going to argue that this is a movie that has two protagonists, Rick and Evie. Oh, yes, They're definitely. both driving the movie. Oh, definitely. Evie possibly more so. But we meet Rick, Brandon Fraser. Do you know who he really reminded me of? And they are totally two different type of people because one we really love and one, eh, we've already discussed him <laughs> and we don't love him. He really reminded me of in Stature. In a little bit of appearance and definitely voice, Army Hammer. Really? Yes. He's got that deep voice. He's probably he built quite similarly and he's really quite handsome. But very different people. Seem similar, no. Very, yeah. very different people. Yeah, Brendan Fraser's career at this point was really built on being tall, handsome. Mm, strong. A little bit goofy. Um, but a big guy who was willing to throw himself into these situations. There's a lot of moments in this movie where I felt this is very directly inspired by the first Indiana Jones movie. Lots of moments like they're in a crypt, um, he's swinging on a rope. I loved all of these moments. Now, is this a remake though? Like from – I know there was a mummy in – Oh, 20s long, or 30s. Yeah, 30s, I was going to say. And if you go to the IMDb page, that yes, they do reference the Universal Studios mummy. It's part of their classic set of, um, I think, 20s and 30s horror movies. Okay. They do reference that as a source point for a, – a, a source story okay. for this movie. So it's not like a remake though? I don't think it's a straight remake. No. Okay. This is the first time it's really early where we get to see the CG sand face and everyone kind of panics mm. and it's – and then we cut to three years later. We're in Cairo. It's 1926 and we're at Museum of Antiquities that doesn't have a more specific title than that because it's not <laughs> a real place. And we see Evie 
and what the late 1990s did to poor Rachel Weiss's eyebrows. Oh, I know. But but also it was the 20s, so they're kind of similar. The Ooh, 20s eyebrows, so I didn't I, – because I did clock her eyebrows, but I wasn't offended by them because in the 20s they had really, really thin eyebrows, probably a little bit more arched than mm. she had. Hers were probably kind of more 90s, but – pretty close to what they would be for fashion yeah. in the 20s. There's things about her costuming that, particularly in that first scene, that are not bad for the era. Yeah, her costuming in that scene was much more appropriate than it yeah. became. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we get her introduced as our, you know, beautiful but clumsy and therefore approachable yeah. heroine. That scene in the library, the domino scene in yeah. the library, was so Good, and I actually think I've seen that yeah. before. Um, and they did it in one take. Wow! They only took one take, which made the crew very happy because you can imagine how long that would take to set up that. But yeah, one take. Yeah, it's pre- pretty impressive, That's and amazing. it's such a great scene. We learn a lot about her character very quickly too. She loves working in the library in the museum. Her boss doesn't really like her working there. We learn that she's got the job partly through nepotism Mm -hmm. and we meet her brother, Jonathan, who is claiming to be an archaeologist and has been on a dig but very strongly gives off... um, Tomb Raider vibes. I was going to say fuckboy vibes, but... Yeah. Both. (laughs) Both. Yeah, both. He's he's a charlatan and a cad. Yes. Uh, Probably words that I won't have to bleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hamunatra is the city Hamunatra, yeah. Forgot the name of. Jonathan has found an artifact. Evie is much smarter than him and is able to actually open it and finds a map. She's pretty confident it's a map to Hamunatra, the secret, possibly um, not real city that Brendan Fraser was trying to find three years ago in the movie. Mm hmm. So and then they go and find Brendan Fraser. In a prison. That whole scene is is um is pretty funny. We get to meet the warden. He's pretty funny. Yeah, he's great. I loved him. I was quite sad that they knocked him off pretty early that in was the a piece shame. Because I, I found him to be qu- I loved his voice for some reason. I loved his oh, no, 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 kind of pitch. I thought he was great. I thought he was good and I wish I'd seen him in more things. I did look him up and he's done a lot like a lot of TV in the UK as well okay. as quite a bit of stand-up. Okay. Yes. If they were making this version of the movie now, do you think that it would that they would get away with having the hero grab the girl and kiss her between oh, the bars? Hell no. Because I am hoping that they would not have that. No, no, no. That and is one she of the definitely didn't wouldn't have the reaction reaction that she did. No. Where she was a bit kind of like a little bit outraged, but a bit swoony. Mm-hmm. No, that would not happen. And then there's a more casual sexual harassment while he's being hung. And at this point, this probably is the part of the movie where I'm starting to think, oh, I see, this is probably where it got its M rating. Uh, Yeah, yeah, true. So Brendan Fraser actually nearly died filming that scene. They They had to resuscitate him, according to Rachel Weiss. They... Yeah, I don't know too much more about that, but I did read that he did have to be resuscitated. Oh and then I did actually 
follow up and he's had to have some surgeries down the track. He's had knee surgery. He's had some surgery on his spine. He also has had to have surgery like vocal cord Mm -hmm. surgery. And I didn't say why. Look, it may not be related. This is all according to Wikipedia, our great friend Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, so it didn't say specifically what was related to what, but I I feel like you've probably got some some – injuries if that's the case if you need to be resuscitated from doing a stunt like that I I would imagine that there would be some repercussions if you stop breathing that is an injury oh hell yeah definitely yeah Brendan Fraser has said in multiple interviews that he maybe just went too hard and tried too hard he really threw himself into all yeah, because you know what? He was pulling some great faces in that scene. I like, know. <laughs> he was going for it. And then Evie gets him out of um, certain death at this point. We all get dressed up and cleaned up and get on a boat ready to go on mm. our adventure. Yes. Brendan Fraser looks amazing in oh, a cream suit. Oh, a haircut too. Had a haircut Woo-hoo. and a shave. And Evie is... Very impressed with the new version of Rick. Jonathan gets it. Mm-hmm. Jonathan probably swings both ways. Look, is this podcast? I, think, I just think everyone's bisexual. Apparently, <laughs> they're not. I, I feel know. Like I feel everything's... like pretty much. Yeah, everyone is. Surely, <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> I feel like most movies and TV shows work a lot better if you assume that all of the characters <laughs> yeah, are bisexual, maybe. unless proven otherwise. Yeah, maybe. Um, act. Oh, God, it makes so much sense for Jonathan to not be straight, oh, though. Doesn't it? So much sense. And then we also meet the three terrible Americans whose names I don't know and we will be calling Let's them, call them Cowboy, okay. Forehead, Can one be and called- Glasses. Oh, I wanted to call one Buddy- Chip and chat. So anyway, <laughs> we meet the three terrible Americans who are going to the same place. Rick and Evie flirt via Rick cleaning his weapons, a time-honoured tradition in mm. action movies. Well, turn anyone on cleaning a weapon, surely. Brendan Fraser cleaned weapons in front of me. It, it would work. And they and then Evie talks about Egyptology, which is how she flirts. Benny. Oh, I've written, I've written Benny. Benny is, though, he's just a douchebag stereotype. <laughs> he's terrible and he immediately gets thrown overboard and there are people standing watching and nothing yeah. happens. I but loved that no look, one reacted. They knew not, Benny was terrible. They're not in deep water, though, and this became very, very apparent when the boat caught on fire and started sinking and all the horses were just walking around the water. So... <laughs> They weren't very deep. I don't feel anyone was really overly concerned about Benny's welfare. I did for, for both reasons. And he, there wasn't deep water, and he's Benny's a dick. Yeah. Let's face it. Everyone was was fine with Benny dying, and yeah, I did write down. The only thing I wrote down for this scene was candle to the eye. Yes, and I now I can't actually remember what happened. Well, I was I wrote some notes about the action scene that it was a lot of there were a lot of fun little moments in the action scene. Evie get, makes her move in the fight by grabbing okay. a candle and shoving it in the eye yes. of one of the magi who has grabbed her. Later, she also grabs Rick as he's loading or fixing a gun and makes sure that he doesn't get shot in the head. Mm-hmm. You know, the couple who save each other from... Yeah, a couple who save each other stay together. Exactly. <laughs> Jonathan inadvertently saves the day with his 
treasure, um, which we learn is a mm-hmm. key. Yes. Very Raiders as well. The key is hiding yes. in plain sight. So, such a fancy, sexy key though. I know. I loved the des- – whoever came up with the design, the set design, and then designed that key should be given all the props in the world. That was amazing. I loved that key. <laughs> they, they make props. You, they don't, you don't need to give them props. <laughs> Everyone's very proficient with guns. Everybody makes it out alive, even Benny – but are, um, so are they proficient with guns then if they all make it out alive? Yeah. Oh, no. None of the Magi are good with guns, but all of the Americans are good with guns, okay. which we know from we being know Americans. That, yes. So we get the camel montage where they buy some camels, they ride into the desert and Evie and Rick gaze at each other a bit more and at this point, yeah, they're, if you don't they're, already they're know. They're racing to, to Homatra. Yes. Homa, Homa, Homas. Hamanatra. Hamanatra. So they're racing to Hamanatra now with yes. camels and horses. So then this old old guy says, they're led by a woman. What does a woman know? And my daughter just went bananas about whatever, uh, girl power. Oh, like good on her. Good because the point of that line is that immediately we're shown Evie knows a lot and should be in charge of their, yeah, of of their group. Course. She's but the expert. In general, women should be in charge of everything women should all be, the time, yes, forever in, and ever, in any, and should have been back then. Well, the thing is they succeed. Spoiler. They succeed because Evie has all of the actual knowledge, knowledge about Egyptology, yeah. about she ancient knows. languages and about tombs and doing and making sensible choices. We reach probably the second act of the movie. Oded Fair is back and he's still extremely beautiful. Yes, and this is when I noticed that he's saying yalla, yalla a lot. Ah. And yalla, and it, it didn't register, and I think he said it quite a bit early on. And Kate and I grew up in a very kind of Turkish community and yeah. Arabic speaking there community. There are a lot of Turkish families, a lot of Lebanese families. Yes. Yeah. So Yalla didn't seem like it sounded like really a really familiar word. And so I did a bit of Google Translate to find out exactly what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And he was saying hurry. Oh. Like so he's saying hurry to his his soldiers, I guess. And the horse. Because he did yeah, he was saying it when he's on a horse and he's saying it at, always as he leaves a room, he'll have some big dramatic speech and then he'll be like, yalla. And so I was really like, oh, what does that mean? And it means hurry. That makes perfect sense. Yes. He does do a lot of dramatic speeching. And that's in Arabic, of course. Cool. That he's, that's what that means. That's the concession to cultural diversity. Yes. Evie gives the message that there are other places to dig mm. being – Apparently too subtle for the Americans and Benny to understand that she's had an idea, an idea that looks a lot like the bit in Raiders when um, they've worked out that they're digging in the wrong place. Yes. Yes. I love Evie's enthusiasm. She is having the time of her life finally being in the field. Like the danger yeah, doesn't seem to Yeah, because she probably her. wasn't let to go in the field. And there's a part later on in the movie where the men try and – block well they do they successfully block her from going off and doing something else which Mm -hmm. actually puts her in more danger yes but 
where you can see her frustration then and you can definitely see how excited she is to be doing stuff now. Yes. Because it's the 1920s mm-hmm. and women were just meant to be sitting around in your office. Well, we learned in her first scene when Jonathan showed up that she's had applications she's made rejected because she doesn't have enough field work. She's not getting the opportunities. Yeah, and she's not getting of, the opportunities because she's a woman. Yeah, She is loving it. She diffuses the tension by knowing more. She is living her best life. She's got all of the book learning. She's got a gorgeous himbo. It's so good. The negative stereotype prison warden who's come along to protect his investment is off stealing things while this is all mm-hmm. going on. Yes. And that ends badly for him, unfortunately, yes. for our time with this character actor who was I very know, funny. and he was so great. But he, he really wanted that beetle that was became encrusted and was bejeweled and he drops it and it cracks open and breaks. Am I right in thinking that yes. I saw this? And it enters his skin and it's the first kind of real – little heebie-jeebie thing. And we're actually – we're almost at the hour mark at this point in the movie before kind of any real Mm. mummy action starts to happen. And this is our first kind of lead into it. And then we've got this beetle crawling all under his skin and I guess it makes its way up to his head and he goes a bit crazy and just runs into a wall. And that's, Knocks that's himself it. Out. And that's, oh, no, that's the end of him. Yeah, the next scene is like, oh, well, what do you think killed him? And they're like, oh, well, he have you seen him eat before? Like kind of <laughs> Very where, unsympathetic. where it's kind of shows us that those characters don't actually believe that anything supernatural is happening. Mm. They didn't see that beetle thing. They have no idea about that. They feel that he's had a heart attack and run into a wall basically. Basically. Evie in particular, Rick has been here before. And believes in the supernatural. He's the Mulder. Evie does not believe in the supernatural. Okay, she is scully. our Scully. So the Magi show up again. They are not happy that people are here. Yeah. I've got to say for an ancient order, they've kept up with contemporary wep- weapons technology. They've, they're all actually pretty good with guns. These ones, not the ones from the boat. They weren't. <laughs> and Rick and Ardeth have their first confrontation. Ardeth must recognise Rick because... He has fought him before and then yeah. didn't, didn't kill him when he escaped the well, battle. he felt the desert would kill him. And it failed. And I think Ardeth at this point has begrudging respect for Rick because he just won't How die. How has he survived? Yeah. Ardeth has two swords. Um, they have a bit of a fight. Rick, for the first time, but not the last time, decides that he's going to fight using dynamite. And Ardeth is like, this bitch is crazy. Okay, I'm calling it off now. Uh, I mean, look, he doesn't say that, but his face says that. Ardeth recognises the magnificent level of crazy. That's my notes. He can see how hard Rick is to kill and so he calls off the fight, but he tells them, you have one day, rack off. Okay. No one seems stressed about this. And I'm going to repeat this several times as we do this recap. They've basically been told, look, we will kill you if you're here in a day's time. And in the next scene, they're just sitting around getting drunk. Mm, yeah, they don't really care. Well, I feel Ardeth does have a soft spot for Rick and maybe everyone's picked up on that. Like, literally everyone's like, yes, you did come here to kill us and you did kill a whole bunch of us, but we are nonplussed. Um, Evie is fully feeling Rick up at this point and then um, they are practising fighting while whiskey drunk. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, and she's quite drunk and, yeah. Yes. And that's when I noticed that Brendan Fraser has a really full lips Very in this full scene. Lips. Yes. When they were going in for a kiss and yes. I was like, oh, he's got big lips. <laughs> and this is when we learn that Evie and Jonathan have an Egyptian mother. Yes. This is also where we get probably my favourite lines of the movie. You're wondering... What is a place like me doing in a girl like this? Yes, I've been like that. She is a delightful yeah, character. Yeah, she really is. She's lovely. She really is. I love also in all movies like this how when you're translating something, it's very fast process and there's no ambiguous words. You can always look at a bunch of hieroglyphics and immediately be, this one means this word and this, oh, there you go, I've got a sentence. Mm. Uh, lo- love that about these movies. Yeah, it's so easy. So the I Americans, could learn yeah. ancient Egyptian. <laughs> well. I probably could. I'm pretty smart. <laughs> Why the hell not? I'm, like, is it on Duolingo? Oh, who knows? Sure, surely there's some way I can learn from YouTube. YouTube teaches you everything these days. So the Americans have found a cursed chest and Benny is the only person who's actually leaving. The next morning everyone is somehow not hungover and is really pumped about continuing their work and not mm-hmm. leaving even though they've been told to leave or they'll be murdered. The mummy is found and he is juicy. We also have the phrase on his sarcophagus, death is only the beginning, which mm. is super emo of him. <laughs> it's a good emo track. It's a great, it's a great name for an emo track. Isn't it? <laughs> so the Americans found the Book of the Dead and they're really upset because they didn't understand that a book could be treasure. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's on brand, isn't it? It's very on brand. Uh, I I guess there are a lot of negative stereotypes in this movie, but Americans is very much one of them, so that's probably not bad. The dumb Americans then um, get really pumped for the canoptic jars that would have been used to hold the various organs that have been removed from the mummy, and I'm pretty confident that they don't know that or else they wouldn't be so jazzed about that being their treasure. Yeah, maybe they would be. I I think that's still pretty... A, a museum would really love to buy that off you. Having been to museums that, oh, God, almost certainly stole this stuff from Egypt, um, mm. they are very cool to look at. Those yeah. jars, if, if they've been well made, they're very beautiful. They it are great beautiful. objects. I'm going to take that back. I just don't think the Americans have appreciation of anything. These Americans specifically, yeah. not all of them. They just yeah, are in it to make a buck, it seems. So that that night... Everyone is still at camp, even though Ardeth mm-hmm. and his boys are coming to kill them. But are they? Why aren't they there yet doing it? If, they, if you're going to threat, then come on, follow through. Be there that night. Be know, there ready to slaughter. Which is great. Right up until you get murdered. <laughs> the bit where they Benny. They called their bluff. It worked. Yeah. Benny is sitting between Rick and Jonathan and gets kicked out of his seat for Evie. And it's another cute little moment. Yeah, fuck off, Benny. (laughs) Evie found the flesh-eating bug remains. The advisor. Yeah, that dude. That dude that hates women. Um, 
Evie steals the book off him, but then unfortunately she does the thing mm. that you never do in any action movie yes. or horror movie. She no. reads it aloud. No, Evie. And we could all see, like, come on, for someone really smart, she should know that you don't just open a book up and start reading things aloud. She doesn't believe that mummies can come to life. She doesn't know about the supernatural. Yeah, but she's reading it to someone who does. Yes. He should have stopped her. So our glasses guy has a millhouse moment and he loses his glasses and then Benny immediately breaks on them mm. and then literally he can't see oh, at nuts. all. Yeah. And then there's a scarab beetle explosion. It's really it's actually really um a bit terrifying when he loses his glasses because you can't see and so that's the vision that we're getting as the audience as well which I thought was really smart yes. that we get that blurred vision and we get the turning around of the camera and we kind of the music set really well that you can feel that something is going to happen and and we know the mummies kind of started to come back alive and also you kind of know that that's going to be the 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 thing that's about to happen yes and you're just waiting for that jump scare to happen something bad is going to happen and then it happens oh no now the juicy mummy has eyes and a tongue yeah from that guy yes the beetles eat a whole dude yeah really fast like we said before very fast very fast juicy sees evie and thinks it's his girlfriend yeah. Ardeth shows up finally to murder everybody and he is very peeved that no one listened to him and yeah. everything is very bad. now it's screwed. He just radiates this, I'm not mad but disappointed but maybe also I'm very mad vibe. Yeah, he radiates the vibe of a parent where something's happened in your house and you've got to fix it so you can't be mad right now. But... but you are very, very mad and you have to suppress that while you clean up the fucking mess. <laughs> Benny meets the juicy m- mummy and is randomly choosing religions that are going to save him and chanting in all kinds of different languages and then he gets hired because I he really, speaks Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, I really loved that scene but I don't feel <laughs> – the accent he puts on when he's doing like the Buddhist kind of oh, chant. No, 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 no Benny, no. no. But I'm okay with feeling that Benny himself is a racist. Yeah. Like that's, that's what this scene yeah. is telling me. Well, Benny's a bad the, person. Well, that's the difference between when you, you look at movies like this and you're like, well, this moment's a bit problematic and not mm-hmm. right. But is it problematic because... The, the producers are problematic or is this scene problematic because that character has been written to be problematic yes. and for us to see that character as problematic and for us to kind of be disappointed in that character. And I think that's the case. Benny the whole time has been incredibly mercenary. Why would it be any different now? Yeah. And he, he sw- switches sides really fast he again, does. doesn't he? He's definitely all just for looking out for Benny. He is. So Rick and Evie fight about whether or not they're going to save the world or specifically whether or not they're going to be saving the world together. Evie is taking responsibility for her actions. She's going to save the world. They've let this mummy out. She's got to put him back. Rick yeah. is like, no, I my job was to get you there and back. I got you out. I'm not coming with you. And they're mm. both very cranky. But then we meet Winston who is this old pilot with a death wish. Imhotep is now here back in, I think they were back in Cairo? Yes. And he's here for glasses. He's had his, he's got his yes. eyes, he's got his tongue, he's here for the rest of him. Yes. Blech. Benny orchestrates that meeting 
and we've got um, the mummy there wearing a lovely fashionable bondage mask <laughs> to uh, who knows why. He can't see you anyway. You've already taken his eyes. Yeah, and but how did you? They're probably in a hotel. The yeah, hotel staff aren't going to let a you know a rotting they just person let come in. Someone in wearing a full leather mask though that's Mm. just as suspicious in my mind we don't know what kind of a hotel it is true anyway they're not they're not going for realism the cg of the mummy rebuilding his body as he basically sucks the life out of glasses it's pretty cool it's really good i thought that was very good but then unfortunately for him a cat arrives and spooks him and juicy turns into sand that is the best part of the movie that why why aren't you all just Carrying cats around all the time. Well, Get yourself some kittens and just have kittens in your pocket constantly and you're sweet. He's petrified of cats. Because they are the guardians of the underworld, we learn, when we go back to the museum and discover that Evie's old boss, the curator, and Ardeth are mates. Apparently the curator is in the major. He just doesn't have the face tattoos. Oh. Yeah. And so they do lots of exposition. So... They explain that now cats are the guardians of the underworld and that's why they're the only protection and the only thing that Imhotep will fear while he's still juicy and um, a juicy mummy, not a juicy person. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Evie is in a lot of trouble. So cats, right? So it's pretty well known. Well, you learn in high school, early on in your high school days when you do – Ancient Egypt. They loved cats. Ancient Egyptians they loved, loved cats. cats and they they kind of worship cats. Is it true that they are the keepers of the underworld though? Didn't look it up. Let me look that <laughs> up. I'm going to do a simple Google of are cats the keepers of the underworld and just see what we get. So it comes up really quickly when you write are cats the ke? keepers of the underworld comes up straight away. It's, oh, the, handy. it's the first thing. That they, they know what people want. Although many believe that it was the Egyptians that started the myth of cats being the guardians of the underworld, this is based on a very loose interpretation of their cat goddess, <gasps> Bastet. Bastet. She was the goddess of the protection against contagious diseases and evil spirits, which is not really the underworld. No, that's not the same thing, although it is very cool. There you go. Okay. I'm Fun fine. facts from Amy. <laughs> Woo-woo. I'm fine with the mummy not being super accurate about it. Uh, yeah, so the curator and Arda tell us about cats. Evie is in a lot of trouble. The mummy has picked her as the vessel yes. for when he brings his girlfriend yeah, back from the underworld. Yeah, she's going to be her new body Yeah, she's because be- he failed the first time. Oops, there's a random eclipse. All oh. of the various... Plagues of Egypt that I think are from the Bible. Yes, I would say so. Start happening. <laughs> so anyway, we're having like an eclipse. Rick locks Evie up so that she can't go and help them go and, you know, so we've stop already, the end of the world. So before the eclipse has happened, we've already had locusts. We've had the the beetles. We had the rivers, had the waters the running waters, with blood. Yeah, running or, red. Well, you know, um, red food dye. Have we had flames from the sky yet? Yes. Or is this yes, we've had flames from the sky. We had CGI meteors just before the mummy became less juicy. Okay, and or more juicy. And flies I've got written down as well. So even though Evie is the only person willing to go with Rick to go and rescue the doctor guy who was working with the Americans. 
their mm-hmm. their sexist yes. project lead. Um, Evie gets locked up in her room in the hotel yes. so that she doesn't get attacked by the mummy yeah. and have an ancient but Egyptian princess put in little her. little do they know that he has already made his way to Cairo and so she's in more danger than they realise. So Juicy is looking for the book so that he can resurrect his girlfriend mm-hmm. and confirms for us that, yes, the plan is to put the girlfriend into Evie's body. Yes. Benny gets away again, but... He's a slippery little bugger, isn't he? The doctor gets sucked dry by Juicy, who then vomits all of the flies. Ah, there you go. I knew there was a plague of flies in there. Yeah. So Evie is having a rage nap because she's been locked in her room with nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And the mummy rocks up. Mm-hmm. He is... Now, he's fully formed at this. He's almost entirely there. Yeah, and it's it's only when he kind of gets on the bed and, like, assaults Evie and, and lays one on her with his his mouth that half of his mouth disappears again. Yeah. What, what's that about? No, I wrote that down too. I don't understand why half of his face rots off when he kisses her. Mm. But Rick shows up with a cat. Yeah. And like, scares always. him away. You need to have cats in your pocket. And so then we have the plague of boils and sores, which seems mm. to have zombified people. Yes. And even though all of this is happening, Evie is still really cheery because they've finally unlocked her. She's been let out of her room and she's finally allowed to contribute. Yes. Because she is the smartest and so she has the most to contribute, really. The second cowboy forehead gets all the juice sucked yeah, out of him. So and the one by is, one, one by one the mummy is going through these clowns and Well, and, they're cursed now. Yeah, they're cursed. Well, they've stolen from from Anook's I'm just gonna call her Anook because her name's really long. <laughs> <laughs> They've stolen from Anook's tomb. Yes. And so he's not happy about that. He's seeking his revenge and he one by one goes through them yep. and then regenerates himself from their lifeless bodies. Imhotep is fully regenerated. Yeah. He Strong, handsome. Starts speaking ancient Egyptian at Evie. Um, Benny translates it for everybody and Mm. Evie corrects his translation because she's the best. And gets to call him an idiot, which then I got asked by my girls whether they can call people idiots. (laughs) And I was like, no, you can't. I mean, if they're kidnapping you, you can. Yeah, well, let's not go too deep into it. (laughs) And Evie volunteers to go with Imhotep so that he doesn't kill her friends immediately. Of course, he then immediately tries to kill them. Well, and she, yeah, she knows that they'll have it back. She can True. go with him now and she's pretty confident that they will come and find her. She, of course, she knows that they will come and try to get her. Of course, the mummy betrays her immediately and tries to kill them. And I'm always really sad at this moment that the curator dies yeah. um, at the hands of the mob. He goes down heroically, yeah, giving buying them a bit more time to get away. But like my husband said, why didn't he just go down the the into the sewer too and put the cap on and just wait it out like they did. Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't really make sense. He sacrificed himself when he probably didn't need to. No. And once again, we lost a good character. Yes. We go back to our pilot with a death wish. Um he's he's also off for sacrificing himself for the yeah. cause. 
He loves it. He loves a little bit of adventure. And I really liked it actually. So we go through and he's flying and they're all in the plane together. And you have a few little comical moments of people being strapped to strapped to wings and things. Ardeth looks like he's having the time yeah, of his life. He's loving himself sick. And it goes down and it's actually really beautiful because this pilot, Winston, has sacrificed himself but he has a smile on his face. He has died doing what he loves. He loves adventure and he's gotten his one last adventure. Yes. Meanwhile, the mummy just takes Benny and Evie back to the City of the Dead just in a big sand whirlpool and then just like spits them out onto the sand, which is actually also pretty hilarious. The priests who had been mummified alive Mm -hmm. in the – you know, previously on the mummy exposition bit at the start, they get sent to deal with Rick and everybody. So have they been brought back to life by the mummy? He's managed to bring them back to life. Yes, he's sort of using his powers to... Well, um, he seems really... I remember at this point of the movie, I thought, wow, he's really got a lot of control of his powers. For someone who's only like just been resurrected and is just regenerating himself, by the time he's doing sand... Mm. stuff in the desert and whirlwinds and things and and making his face be out of sand and eating the aeroplane and all that he has a lot of control over his powers now that he is fully reconstituted yes he's got complete control he is extremely powerful and he knows what to do there's a lot of treasure ardeth has a machine gun which is pretty great everything's on fire when Rick decides that he's got to throw um, some dynamite, he, instead of using any of the fire around him, he strikes a match on Ardeth's beard. Of course he does. Because it's always sexy to strike matches on other people's faces, Kate. That's why. Slightly later, he then also strikes a match on his own face, so I guess that's true. Which is even more sexy when you do it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like anything. <laughs> so Jonathan and Rick find the golden book. Um, that is going to allow them to stop the mummy. Yes. Which they found quite quick considering how long it took them to find the the previous book. Yeah, but we don't have very long left in this movie. Yeah, we've got to get it going. Yeah. The, but the resurrection is happening. Jonathan is trying to do a big distraction. Mm-hmm. Rick is sword fighting all the mummies. Yeah, Evie's tied down. We've got swinging on ropes and all kind of like swashbuckling fun yeah, here. Yeah, this is great where he's – he's look, I was actually quite surprised that his sword just really took care of like these mummies so easily. Like butter. Yeah, it was great. My favourite part is though when he's lost his sword – and he can't quite reach it and he's about to have some kind of huge slab thrown on his head by another mummy and a mummy's disembodied hand creeps over and grabs his sword and he can just reach that hand and grabs that hand and uses that to kill off the other mummy. It's funny. It's so good. It's It's a little bit slapstick and it's, it's so good. It is. Jonathan reads an inscription on the book which somehow gives him control of the soldier mummies and then he gets the key back. This is the most competent Jonathan is in this movie and also in the sequel. Yeah, but he also needs a little bit of help from Evie there because he can't oh, yeah. quite get that last little little couple of words and he describes the hieroglyphics to Evie and she knows it like the boss bitch that she is. Yes. So they get Evie untied. Um, Evie uses the book and summons 
a mystical chariot that sucks Imhotep's soul out of his new body and takes him to the underworld. And then he falls, he gets stabbed and he falls into a pit of yeah, goo. He, he's mortal and he dies very yes. fast. Yes. <laughs> and then, and Benny is still alive at this point. I'm impressed yeah, with Benny. Benny he's, has made it through. He's, like I said before, he is a slippery little sucker and he's just got there till the end. A classic trope in any movie that has a tomb is once you've done the important task, the tomb will start to collapse oh, around you. Yes, and so everyone's yes, running we've seen, for it. We've seen it in in Raiders. Is it yeah. Raiders that it's in? Yes. Uh, it's probably in Temple of Doom I can't as well. Remember, but it's definitely oh, it, in de- Raiders. it definitely is in Temple of the Doom when um, Willie has to rescue rescue them and there's the bugs and she can't quite bring herself to put her hand in. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely in um, National Treasure as Uh well. Yep, it's a classic. Jonathan is sad to leave all the treasure but, you know, you have to get out. Benny doesn't leave the treasure and he gets stuck on the wrong side of the door and then there are beetles and then his fire goes out. Oh, and it goes out so fast. Oh, yeah, yeah. So fast. But I don't want the four-hour cut where two hours of this movie is waiting for Benny to die. Yeah. No. No. (laughs) Ardeth pops back up again. He seems to have gone off and heroically sacrificed himself to give them some time to save Evie. Evie, And I have a feeling that his character was going to die and then he just pops up at the end because people didn't want him to die. I read that. He wasn't going to be such a major character, but oh. he started. They started kind of filming, mm. or it, as it was being written, they decided yep. no, he needs to be in it more. He has, and then he was. I've probably got it written. He down. has Hang great on. chemistry with the cast, and he's very. He, he's an he's an interesting character. So yeah, he pops up on a camel, scares the shit out of them, and then just rides off to wait for the sequel. Oh, wonderful. Evie and Rick have to share a camel. Of course they do. And then they have a pash. Because for sexy times on the yes. camel. and Next to her brother. Yeah. Well, yeah, he probably liked it. Who knows? <laughs> the end. Dun, 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 dun. So, some fun facts I've got for you, Kate, about The Mummy. Tom Cruise was originally offered the lead role. In, for the 99 version. Yeah, but turned it down. But that's why he was in the reboot in 2017 that I've never heard of. I knew that they had done a reboot, which is why when we've been talking about this, I've been very specific to say the 1999 Mummy. Okay. But I haven't seen it and everything I've seen of it doesn't well, look Well, I don't fun. think I don't think it did very well. I don't think it did very well. Certainly not compared to other Tom Cruise movies. Yeah. And it just – it didn't – I did see a trailer – it didn't look enjoyable. Didn't appeal to you. This movie has so much spirit and joy. Yeah, like and like I fun. said, it was funny. Yeah. Um, most of the filming was done in Morocco because Egypt was just too dangerous with the political climate oh. in the late 90s. Um, but even though it was filmed in Morocco, all the major cast had kidnapping insurance. Oh. Which none of them knew about until after filming had ceased. So the director kind of – they got this fil- this ins- kidnapping insurance for their major stars and then just did not tell them about it until the filming had finished. So on the on the request of Stephen Summers, apparently. Apparently who allegedly – but they all went back for The Mummy Returns, so they mustn't have been two-faced. Or they were contractually obligated and they had no choice. Yes, <laughs> true. Hollywood is – 
Holy yeah, God. I know. Numerous crew were hospitalised after being bitten or stung by various poisonous animals. There was a lot of dehydration and mm. they were apparently like making people drink special con- con- like concoctions like every two hours to keep hydrated. Stuff with electrolytes. Yeah, I would say so. And that's that's it for my fun facts. Cool. So let's talk about Hollywood superstar Brendan Fraser and what happened to him across oh. the, the last 20 years. Yes. So main source for this is a GQ article that was published February 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, the online title is Whatever Happened to Brendan Fraser and it was written by Zach Barron. So it's a really good Yeah, it was article. really interesting. GQ do excellent um, celebrity profiles. Yeah, they really do, don't they? Yeah. This was, I guess, leaping to the end at a point in Brendan Fraser's career when he was really starting to come back and he was working on a few higher profile TV mm-hmm. jobs. He was in The Affair. Oh, really? In okay. Three, which was really for a lot of people the first time they'd seen Brendan Fraser for some years. A long time, yeah. And reminded people that he is actually quite a talented dramatic actor. But he had a really tough first decade of. Mm-hmm. The, this century. Yep. He got divorced and there was a lot of press at the time around his divorce and spousal support. His mm-hmm. income had been a lot higher while he was married mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of press drama about that. For someone who seems quite private, yeah, seems pretty rough. And he and his ex-wife have three kids together who I think are all teenagers now. So yeah. this article goes into a lot of detail about – how hard Brendan Fraser worked on all of these movies that had a, where he did a lot of stunts and he was very active. Yes. How that really trashed his body, I guess, through mm. his 30s and 40s. As we were saying before, he'd had multiple surgeries, um, quite a few on his back, a partial knee replacement and others. Yes. Um, he got divorced and then his mum died and he basically just oh. had quite a difficult run. Another thing that... Brendan Fraser revealed in this interview was of a sexual assault that took place in 2003. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, allegedly by the head of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. I'm actually not going to use his name. It's no. in the article. Mm-hmm. And when he was asked for comment on the article, uh, that man made himself sound like an absolute tool. Mm. Yeah. But Brendan Fraser does highlight this happening at a difficult time in his life as part of the personal difficulties he was having that then just really damaged his career and and made it quite difficult for him to work for some time. Yeah, it kind of made him feel that he needed to step back from acting and the spotlight Mm. at the time. It's a reminder that Hollywood can be incredibly difficult for whoever's in there. You look at stories like this coming from men in Hollywood Mm. that feel like the kinds of stories women in all kinds of industries have that men experience less in other industries. Yeah. And in this one, seemed to happen to a lot of men as well. Yeah. So I've got a quote from that GQ article on how Brendan Fraser actually felt at the time of the assault. Mm -hmm. And he says... I felt ill. I felt like a little kid. I felt like there was a ball in my throat. I thought I was going to cry. And this is 
he was 35 at the time mm. of this assault and to hear – and he would have been in his 40s at the time of the article. Yes. And to feel to, – to hear that a 40-year-old – 40-plus-year-old man was made to feel so mm-hmm. violated – it's terrible. It's heartbreaking. It is. It's terrible. But like you said, this is something that happens to women all the time mm-hmm. across all industries. And it's just it's it's just really highlights that it's not just women that it can happen to. It True. can happen to anyone. And it's so damaging. Yeah, no matter who it happens to. And it really no matter, no matter what, what age. Happens. And yeah, it can really affect people mm-hmm. and and impact them being able to do their work. Yes. The good news though is that Brendan Fraser is working a lot more these days. At the time of the interview, which I think would have been conducted in 2017, he was working on the series Trust, which was co-created by Danny Boyle and which I finally got around to seeing last year. I'd been wanting to see it since it came out mostly because Brendan Fraser was in it mm-hmm. and it's one of his big comeback projects. Yeah. It's quite an unusual show but I, f- I thought it was very, very good and I thought he was very good in it. It's about the abduction of John Paul Getty III. Oh, okay. It's it's the same story that the um, movie All the Money in the World is uh-huh. about. Yep. Um, and Brendan Fraser plays the fixer for the family. So he's in most of the episodes we really get introduced in to his character in episode two as he goes to Italy and starts to try and mm-hmm. work out what's going on and see if he can get get this boy back. Yeah. But it's a fascinating story about this incredibly rich man, how that completely messes up all of his family. Yeah. And the, the events that happen that around. Yes. Around oh, amazing. That. Yeah, he's really good in it. Oh, good. And his upcoming project, according to the internet, is from our mate Dazza, the new Darren Aronofsky movie. Oh, Dazza, <laughs> yes. Um, which is based on a play. So it'll be quite dark then, I would assume. Well, I did um, read an article about it just this morning and it's based on a play called The Whale mm-hmm. and it's the story of a 600-pound man who is trying to eat himself to death. Wow, it okay. Intense. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interested to see that one when it comes out. Yeah. I actually I genuinely am. I didn't sound very excited then, but <laughs> yes, I am. It does it sounds really interesting. Look, I'm always happy to see Brendan Fraser movies. Yeah. And TV shows. Well, that was the mummy, the everybody. Mummy. We're Can't wait to watch The Mummy Returns later. Yes, very excited. <laughs> I think we might do that tonight actually because I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see The Rock. I love The Rock. <laughs> I love him so in his stuff. so early in he's his movie so career good. that he's still – I think it might be his first. It might be. He's still credited as The Rock. Yeah, he's not Dwayne yet. No. He's just The Rock. He's What's cooking? I've got to warn you, he's not in it for very much. Okay. But he does get his spin-off from this, yes? He yes. gets the Scorpion King movie yes. from this. He does. So he must have he must leave an impression. I mean, that's yes. <laughs> okay, she doesn't want to tell me too much. All right. I don't want to give you any spoilers. Okie dokes. <laughs> so what are we gonna watch next? We are going to watch an Aussie classic. Uh one by Baz Luhrmann. 
we are going to watch Strictly Ballroom. Yes. We're going to put on our sequins. We're going to dance with you at the Pan Pacifics. We're going to yell out, arms, Clary. (laughs) And put our fanciest earrings on and watch Strictly Ballroom. Excellent. I cannot wait. Well, thank you, everyone. You've been listening to You You Watched Watched What What? with Kate and Amy. Remember to like, subscribe and review. And we'll catch you next week. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye.